Welcome to Let's Talk About Treks, an episodic review of today's visions of the future featuring Earl Grey and Jack Dorino. Join us as Jack and Earl wax nostalgic about episode 6 of Star Trek Prodigy, Kobayashi. I don't know, has it been like two weeks? It was like a two week gap? Or was it a Seems more like a month. It, I mean, it's it felt over. like forever. Yeah, I mean, I was enjoying the show so much they stopped at five, five episodes, and I'm like, wait, what? That's it? Wait, what? Ain't that the way it is? I, I yeah. So, but, but it's back. We're back now. Isn't that great? We 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 took a mild break there, a station break, apparently, maybe. Yeah. And now, um, now it's me. Oh, hey, me? hey, guys, it's me. It's, hey, it's Jack, Jack how I'm doing well. My name is Jack Dorino. And I'm uh, Earl Gray. And we are Let's Talk About Treks. Yes, and this talk is going to be on Star Trek Prodigy. Season 1, Episode 6, Kobayashi. I really like the use of the Kobayashi that's been happening a lot recently. I, I feel like it's maybe spanning star treks these days somehow i'm not sure if they're overusing it oh i don't think you can overuse it i think that because right. i mean if you if you have one only one star trek running at the time and you use it then that's using it in all of current star trek so it's oh, like yeah. we're it's like we're uh moving across different topics you know uh-huh. in our in our current star trek i mm-hmm. think that's pretty cool i also think it's pretty cool that uh we we see so much of so many so many so many people that are going to call it fan service i'm sure but sure. so many callbacks i actually i i enjoyed that i enjoyed the episode i think they could have maybe done better about certain aspects of it hmm. okay well i'm sure we'll get to that very soon you know this is the uh, 823rd episode of star trek overall mm-hmm Came in on January 6th of 2022, and Uh, we're calling it production number 106, although we're also calling it the fifth episode produced. Because remember, we have that strangeness that sort of went on with episode one, where it was a two-episode, one-episode deal. (laughs) Yeah. Two for one. Buy one, get one free. And now we're here, episode six. So they don't do a teaser on this one. Yeah. We go, we go straight into into opening credits. Yeah, I, and I, I've heard the phrase oh, "millennials don't watch credits." I don't know if people don't watch credits. Or not. Some t- I've I've gotten more and more like for not watching credits, but really? I still do enjoy a lot of credits sometimes. It it gets you psyched out for the show. It gets it, you ready for, you know. I agree. If it's a new episode of something, then I watch the credits. Yeah. I feel like maybe that's the structure that's that's taking place without me really realizing it until this moment. Yeah. Like if I'm if I've seen if I've seen the episode before, I don't need to watch the credits. But I okay. get sliced up for the episode by watching the credits of a new episode. Well and to me, I think the skip button is distracting. I think I want um <laughs> to just see it. Sure. There's some credit sequences that I enjoy. It's the pump up before the party. In this show in particular, I mean, it's the way that you get the uh, the title of the episode, too. It so. is. And this one's called Kobayashi. Let's walk through the episode. Okay. 
we pick up where we left off and we are coming out of proto warp. Proto warp. <laughs> I, I don't know what else to call it. Uh, yeah. We we quickly learn that we've gone uh, four thousand light years. I did a little little bit of math in my head based on uh, the Voyager's projection of how long it was going to take them to get home, and I figure, okay, so they've traveled for about what will be four years at warp nine point nine. Okay, now I get it. I, I didn't get it when I was watching it, but I get it now. Now they were just kind of pointing whatever which way, so they went from the delta quadrant to the gamma quadrant instead of galactic south. Sure, yeah, they they headed what east east to west. Yeah. So this is the way that I had always thought the Voyager should have gone uh, to get to the gamma end of the Bajoran wormhole. Well, I'm pretty sure at the time uh, there was. The, the gamma end of the Bajoran wormhole was in a highly cont contested. Oh, state. sure. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So last time they knew they were just getting the, the, the war was on her right on the horizon. But so as uh, as Dal is bringing back the Amiga uh, of the 24th century, mm -hmm. you know, the little uh, the little eyeball game with cones and the discs yeah. from the game yeah. that Wesley Crusher could tell us so much about. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, wasn't that game used to, like, brainwash people? It was. It was. It was definitely a mind control thing where everyone was, like, all zonked out. It was a, It seemed like it, it was an allegory, I feel like, for addiction. Okay. <laughs> because everybody was just doing that instead of doing anything else. I don't know if it was meant to be that, but that's what it seemed like for me. Like like, like other properties of, of addictive properties that are on a lot of people's mobile phone, um, possibly even mine. Yeah, about, oh. about collecting monsters and putting them in our pockets. And you know, of all the things, I never, never thought until today, or until I was today years old, that it was an allegory just for you know what was actually going on in the world at the time. People uh -huh. like turning into their mobile devices. I didn't even think the game had anything to do with the addiction. It was just the game was a cover for the thing that was causing the. Addiction. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's how I felt too. Like you were playing the game, but in this, the meantime, the game was doing something to your brain. Yeah, yeah, and, and brainwashing you know, and stuff. So as uh, Dallas playing this game, the the rest of the crew walk in. Most of the rest of the crew walk in, and they have decided to vote to go to the Federation. And the the first thing I want to point out, if I can backpedal just a little bit, I never realized how many executive producers are on this show. Yeah, it's a Star Trek show. Star Trek in the in the twenty in the twenty twenties is all about how many executive producers can you fit in the opening credits. <laughs> and exactly what does an executive producer do? Uh, they produce on an executive level. <laughs> produce what? <laughs> the television show. So, uh, speaking of executive producers, though, our writer for this episode was uh, is Aaron J. What? How would you pronounce his name, sir? Waltke. Thank you. Sure. The director was Alan Wan. Uh -huh. I understand the need for a director, but I've never understood how do you, you, you don't direct actors in this case. Sure you do. Obviously. Yeah, there's actors. Uh, well, you don't point to Dal and say, okay, I need you here. This is your inspiration. Well, you no, you, you tell, that's what you tell, that's what you tell the animators. You, t you direct the animatics and yeah, yeah. you direct the actors in the voice acting. Do you think it's a little less directly interactive? I mean, you don't have to. You don't have to like live in the space with the actors in the scene, but yeah, 
you live in the soundscape and you you uh -huh. you know envision do, the do you think it's more visual. of an office job or are they on a set or something, something? I, I doubt they're on a set i'm sure it's all yeah. done in offices and on couches and drafting boards cool sounds like fun yeah so after uh, after everybody walks in and votes to go to the federation we find murph terrifyingly on a cliff in the middle of nowhere yes did they, did they leave around. behind what happened I was horrified. I was like, what is happening? Oh, no, we lost Murph. <laughs> Before we can get to solving that mystery, mm -hmm. we do find Gwyn. Uh -huh. Well, Dal finds Gwyn. Dal comes across Gwyn, yes. And she's apparently still in sickbay. And uh, he does. He mentions to her, by the way, there's a bed for you if you want. You don't have to like, hang out in sickbay. And she seems yeah. all broken up still. And she's all upset and crying and not willing to talk. You know how teenagers are. <laughs> yeah i only know uh, how one was but i get what you're saying well i know how i was oh no how how were you uh teenagery <laughs> you know mopey mopey and myopic and joyful and uh, looking forward to the future you know all uh -huh. of these things all in one and okay. as we've noted before in every episode of uh, star trek prodigy we are learning more about the universe that is star trek yeah uh, today, we've learned, I think we learned about three things. The first thing we learned about is the... Holodeck. That's it. The most cringeworthy thing about learning about the holodeck is that we started in the holodeck on a place called... Andorra 4. Andoria 4 is what she says. Yeah, that's what I meant. So we're cementing the whole Andoria thing, right? And we're, uh -huh. It's not Andor? I don't know. Okay. We'll call it Andoria for now. What were you going to say? I mean, we... We don't necessarily know that Andor and Andoria aren't two different planets. We don't know that and Andorians aren't. Oh, wait, we do from Enterprise. Yeah. Okay, I was trying to cheer you up. Sorry. I know it's okay. <laughs> why doesn't it make you? Why does it make you so? Unhappy? I don't know. I just like Andor for some reason. It okay. feels feels better to me. I don't know why. Well, maybe it's Bajor and not Bajora, so. Ah, maybe. yes, maybe that's why it fits. Why did Murph choose this particular environment, though? I mean, they are blue. Maybe they're they're from there. Yeah, it's a good question. Maybe it was already running for some reason, but it wasn't because we shut every, we've shut everything down multiple times on this ship. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't know why Murph would choose that. Maybe maybe they like cold. Yeah, the one thing I can't figure out is is Murph warm blooded, or th does Murph have blood? Uh, I think Murph is a, I think Murph is a gelatinous sentient. Okay, so what what temperature does slime freeze? Well, it depends on the nature of the slime. Oh, okay. On the other hand, I mean, would would the computer be allowed with the safeties on to bring the temperature all the way down to the point where? This is a good point. Tom. You know, is it actually the temperature that it is on Andoria Four? Mm -hmm. Understood, yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, this may actually be the advent of uh, a little segment we like to call Earl Grey Fixes a Thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Happen again. How, you, what did I fix? You set it up and then you knocked it down. The temperature of the holodeck. Surely it doesn't have to be anywhere near the temperature of Andor or Andoria either. It, it could be both. I yeah, mean, it doesn't have to be, though, is, is the point. Yeah. So it could be whatever temperature it needs to be for there not to be a calamitous disaster taking place in the holodeck. 
<laughs> Murph salt frozen solid. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, we are transported in the holodeck uh, mm-hmm. to which Murph has led us into uh, the Enterprise D. Okay. And my heart melts. As soon as I see it appear and it starts to appear around us, I say, it's the, it's the, ah, and it was the Enterprise D and I couldn't have been happier. I'm so glad that we now get to spend almost the entirety of an episode aboard the Enterprise D back in my bedroom, basically. Yeah. Or, or some generic galaxy class bridge. Uh, Thanks for that. Knock it down. (laughs) Sorry. Real briefly, though, we were in a program uh, that Janeway describes as a, a Count Dracula simulation, and I was very, very much reminded of a particular adventure in, a, in the world's most popular role-playing game called Curse of Strahad. Uh-huh. Um, it's very, it's so popular, they keep on reprinting it with every edition. I, I don't know why that brought vibes back to me seeing that <laughs> I, it, well, I was just kind of wondering do do people even do tabletop role playing anymore or do they just all go to the holodeck and just actually relive it you know? oh like in the 24th century I yeah I don't think I would do any tabletop role playing if I had holodeck privileges <laughs> I think I would actually absolutely love to go in there and hang out on the other hand just like you and I like to go listen to retro play retro video games or uh listen to retro music i mean maybe they would like the nostalgia thing or maybe they would do it in the holiday just they don't have room in their bedroom to do the uh, tabletop role playing so they just mm. set up in in the holiday for tabletop role playing how often do you play text-based video games i don't have access to any but uh, I think I how often do you uh how often do you do play tic-tac-toe with someone Tic-tac-toe is so... How often do you play chess with someone? Or checkers? See, that? See that's a classic that people often go back to. Not, not very often. I Can you imagine going into the holodeck to play checkers? I think I can. Wait, wait, wizard chess. You can, action, go, you can go into... Oh, I just mean like have it generate you a table with a checkerboard on well, it. Okay, so you could, play, you could play chess with the greatest chess masters of history, like Data played poker. Or the worst, and always win. I would play chess with Barkley every time. <laughs> yeah, I feel so good about it at the end of it. <laughs> would you put Barkley in, back into his chair with the laser beam set? I head? would, I absolutely would. And I'd tell him to be our new navigator. So then Murph uh-huh. eats some photon grenades. Yeah, he does. And then uh, he blows up, and the ship blows mm-hmm. up with him, and then it's the end of the series. Dun, 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 dun. So is that a rogue gamma ray burst that he's emitting there? I I don't think it's rogue. Is that where it came from? I, it perhaps that's what it is. <laughs> that's not what it is. So just after the end of the show, where Zero, where uh, where uh, Murph blew up everything by eating photon grenades, uh, uh-huh. we have a tender bonding moment between Zero. And Gwen. Gwen mentioned, or Zero mentions that she can't read Gwen's mind, or they can't read Gwen's mind. I think it's I a Val and the Cat thing. It's a what? Like I think it ha- it has specifically to do with this with the species that they are. I feel like maybe it's been mentioned before because I... she could read 
Dal's mind, or they could read Dal's mind. Zero could read Dal's mind. Yes. Yeah. Oh, they definitely could read that because right. they do it all the time. I think they couldn't read Gwen for some reason. They they also haven't indicated whether they could read Rock's mind though too. I don't know that there would be any need to. Rock is pretty transparent. Oh okay. Well yeah, they are. Pog, Pog would be an interesting mind to read too. Would it? I I just think of soil and truffles. <laughs> food, 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 food. Boots my arm. Got broken off. We uh we briefly. We only briefly touched on Murph. I wanted to know why did Rock keep the information that Murph ate all those grenades from everybody? Oh, because Rock is a little kid and little kids don't necessarily tell everything. They're just kind of like, oh my God, I, oh my God, whoops, I gotta handle it. Rock's uh, trying to handle it on the lowest level possible. She doesn't think it's important enough? No, she, she thinks she doesn't, doesn't want to get in trouble. Oh, okay. Well, she wouldn't get in trouble. She'd be like, oh, no. Because Murph right. did it on his own. She's more concerned about yeah. getting in trouble than the actual ship blowing up. This is just the whole thing about, you know, uh huh, being a kid. Okay. I, I wasn't aware that... I don't think I was aware of the nature of the Medusans uh, somehow because uh, during the during the bonding with Gwen and Zero, uh, yeah. Zero mentions that Gwen's... the My diviner, the diviner... Uh, ripped zero from the hive mind. Mm-hmm. So, or are well, they're, the Medus- they're vapor cloudy thing. Yeah, are the Medusans some sort of gaseous Borg? I don't know about being Borg, but they're definitely a, like a gaseous thing. You can see them right in there in the pod, in the eye of the pod. A oh, Borg? sure, the gaseous part, but like uh, it was the part about the hive mind. If I were a part of a nebula and an intelligent part of a nebula, I mean, it would almost have to be a collective. Huh. Oh, yeah. Similar to to the changelings. Gotcha. Oh, Why don't they say changelings a separate being and why don't they individual or, you know, one big ball of goo? Sure, sure, sure. I gotcha. Yeah, okay. I understand now. That makes total sense. <laughs> Not really, but <laughs> what I mean, why why is there an individual Odo and an individual changing female changeling when when they join with each other? They're all where where's the individuality? Where's I don't the- think they blend like psyches like fully. I think they always oh, okay. are remain a piece, remain like who they are. Uh huh. Like even though they can blend pieces, I think that the consciousness still stays as an intact little piece. Mm-hmm. Okay. During that conversation with uh, with Gwen and Zero, yeah, uh, Zero reminds Gwen that uh, communication is about a lar- large part about I- interpretation, not just direct translation. That's that's a good point. There's a lot of flavor that you need to get out of your uh-huh. sentences that might not get there if you don't know what the you know what the intent of the words are, as opposed to just yeah. the dictionary definition. So now we're getting an English English uh, language lesson or just a general language lesson, like a poetry mm-hmm. lesson almost. Yeah. Then we're placed in the Star Trek universe by starting, uh, which I believe was 17 years ago. And we are in yep. start date 43929. Yes, 0.9. Thank you. You're welcome. I, the question I had about that is, is there a significant... 
what was happening in the rest of the Star Trek universe. 14929 was the end of the third season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, okay. So then that does put it at the Battle of Wolf 359. Uh, I think it does. I think it does indeed. How interesting. I hadn't considered that. They must be doing some time-lapsing when they're showing the 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 clone not clone growing in the tube and then coming to the tube and touching the tube to connect with her father unless she's been out of the tube and a, and a grown woman for 17 years does she know that she's a clone uh, i think we need to take a station break okay well let's take a little break and we'll be right back yes we are back with Earl Grey. And Jack Dorino. Yeah. There we are. We are right about the point of the episode where the Diviner uh, mm-hmm. uh, makes Gwyn. You know, we were leading into it before the break. It started 43929. Yeah. Point nine, which is apparent, which is definitely toward the end of the third uh, season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Which the cliffhanger episode would have been Best of Both Worlds Part 1. Sure, sure, because 70 stardates after this stardate is definitely for sure 44000, which is when the Best of Both Worlds Part 2 happens, so it's somewhere right around there. Okay. I was very intrigued, interested, and not quite satisfied in understanding how Gwyn was made. Okay, yeah. I I did understand that there was the callback to the bubble machine that the diviner was in in our first few episodes uh-huh uh, so apparently maybe that was him recovering from having made gwen i think the idea uh-huh. of referencing that it was 17 years ago is to yeah. say gwen is 17 years old right now yeah i think that's why we we went to the 17 years ago so did it take uh gwen's daddy uh 17 years to recover well, see, what they did is they took one of his neurons and they made two and they named them after flowers. <laughs> okay. And then one of them was chased down by Romulan spies and disploded. Wait, what? <laughs> and the other one went on to join Captain Picard in a motley crew to save the universe, including Seven of Nine. That's the show, right? This is. Wait, what? What? This is Picardigy. Star Trek Picardogy. (laughs) (laughs) What? So back to the show Star Trek Prodigy. Much like Star Trek Picardogy. We're actually now, so so the reason this is happening is because we're doing an amalgamation of the universe. The entire Star Trek universe is just converging in one place. Star Trek Prodigy becomes Star Trek Online because he's in the holodeck, right? Uh, okay. So we're calling. He's calling up whatever members of the crew from Star Trek he would ever like ever. Are are is the computer deciding that these are the points in time and the people that were best ever in all of Star Trek for their position that they would be at? I think I'm okay with that. They pick pre-movie Spock and Uhura. Yes, both of them from the television series for sure but later on they they pick a movie version of scotty and Um, and also also by the way we're picking the television version of crusher yes and well there's odo yeah and it's hard to tell what what version of odo he's from this is if i had to guess somewhere in the early seasons i think it's pre pre pre-dominion war odo 
Yeah, I mean, he's very grumpy. He's pre pre in love with Kieran Reese. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know whether it was a bad thing that I noticed, but I was glad to notice that okay. we were using all original clips. You know, there are no voice replacements of our beloved uh, characters from Star Trek, and it was all clips from uh, previous Star Trek shows, except perhaps uh, Dr. Crusher. I think maybe hers may have been recorded new. They could have also picked Nichelle Nicholas because eh. she's... Yeah, so I heard recently earlier this, uh, yeah, or actually toward the end of last year, that uh, Nichelle Nichols wasn't doing anything else. Like she wasn't doing any public appearances. And I think that that might mean that she's not really doing much of anything. Oh, okay. That's well, maybe she's things. just uh, holding up in her home and uh, just staying out of uh, the pandemic. To yes, stay that's alive. what I would be doing. Please do that, Nichelle. Please stay locked into a metal cage, a, a metal, not a metal cage, but a, a, just stay locked away in a plastic bubble, please, until the pandemic ends, because we need you yes, to stick we around. Love you. We, we love you so much. We want to meet you someday. When yes, the we want you to stick ready. around and be some far-flung leader that is the is the culmination of the rechristening of the Federation at the end of <laughs> Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> yes. I... Uh, I she is probably my first pick for the original cast that I would want to meet most. For sure, a hundred percent. I'm with you on that one. As usual here on Star Trek Prodigy, we learn things about the Star Trek universe, and this time we are learning about the neutral zone. Okay, yeah. Uh, in the context of the Kobayashi Maru. Yeah, and, and Doctor Crusher's totally like, "What? You know what?" And she I'm just totally mic dropped on that. Yeah. The funny thing that happens when we get to the holodeck and we go through our first round, our first version of the Kobayashi Maru uh, attempts, is that the crew uh, the crew mutinies. <laughs> They're like, no, we're not doing that. Which yeah. is oddly the same thing that happened just now aboard the Protostar at the beginning of the episode. Dal is still being too uh, egocentric and immobile to uh, listen to his crew. He, he is. It's very interesting how much he sort of parallels... Uh, you know, other leaders who don't listen to the people around them and put different people around them that are, that are going to be like, tell them yes, they're right all the time. Oh, I, blonde, blonde haired, orange skinned. You know, the, uh, yeah. the, uh, the thing that Gwyn and Zero are doing together is exploring the ship and looking for secrets and clues and stuff. They're playing a little uh, Sherlock Holmes. They're doing a little Data and Jordy on the holodeck. They're having their own little holodeck moment in reality. Oh, okay. They're also looking for Murph. They're doing some sleuthing. I think them looking for Murph is a pretext. I'm surprised that no, they haven't just gone ahead and taken the time to just do a tour of the whole ship when they first got there. When they sure. had the time. Yeah. Well, you know, we have to unfold these things slowly. You can't just be releasing the entirety of Star Trek on someone in one foul swoop. It's a lot. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> so we come across some files in Janeway that are classified, and they're tied to the protostar having a mission sent by starfleet into the delta quadrant mm -hmm. classified and in order to crack that what is janeway gonna need coffee i've been waiting for it this whole time <laughs> is it in, in a nebula it's in a protostar actually oh, this time. okay so back to the uh, back to the kobayashi maru simulation the prodigy brings back the star trek the next generation's klingons 
beautifully. Yes. Yeah. These are the original form of the movie slash Star Trek Klingons, and mm-hmm. I I love it. I love the fact that we've we've since we're on the seventeen oh one Big D bridge, mm-hmm. we might as well have the seventeen oh one Big D Klingons. I guess Porg has been uh, left out of the holodeck and banned from the holodeck. Yeah, well, Scotty 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 replaces Pog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for Dal, when uh, when Dal kicks Pog off the holodeck. Yeah, when when they finally get into their thing, and he think that Dal thinks he's figured out, you know, when nothing else works, total chaos. It it strikes me as how easy it is to eject the warp core by pressing exactly one button. Yeah, yeah, you'd think it would take a little bit more than that. You can't tell me that that's how it works. Usually, we have like a the command code authorization, and then we yeah. have like you know the first officer agrees and the captain agrees and they turn some keys at the same time yep similar to how we do a warp core or a self-destruct sure yeah we come back upon a, a rock with uh with murph and murph yeah. who has swallowed these photon mm-hmm. grenades uh, explodes and blows up the entire protostar and it is now the end of the show yeah that definitely is the end of the series it's only six episodes it's all over uh poop yeah i well, was looking forward to this one so I was enjoying it. the uh the errant code that is causing some mm-hmm. of the classification in janeway's systems is uh is something that's of the valna cat which is interesting because the diviner was the only other valna cat until 17 years mm-hmm. ago when he made gwen mm-hmm. so did he put it there did his people put it there was the protostar's mission to go to valna cat for some reason were they were they sent this ship was he sent this ship by starfleet so that he could come to the federation and they could maybe save the valna cat people or achieve some other oh. goal and maybe that's why he considers it his ship get me my mm. ship maybe that's why he's so so wanting to get it i don't know that's a good question i never thought about that perspective mm. Well, back to the Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> oh, and I we, thought we just tried to. Sh- we oh, have okay. a uh, we have a leader who's who's calling people by uh, uh, slightly offensive nicknames. Isn't yeah, that interesting. Something he, he, he can't bother to take the time to uh, learn their names as a leader. Yeah. So we go to pointy ears, and yeah. uh, Big Red. By the way, the the name Big Red is now my name for Doctor Crusher for all time. Wait, Big Red. Oh. I thought Scotty was big red because he's big and red. Oh, interesting. Oh, his shirt is red. Huh. That is that's a good point. I is it was it what was were it the Scotty? It was uh, pointy ears, big red, and Jelly Man. Well, Jelly Man could apply to Scotty too. <laughs> I see what you did there. So finally, uh, it appears as if for the first time we have witnessed someone winning the Kobayashi Maru. Now, he did do it with some help from Spock, who, you know, mm-hmm. uh, toward the end, beamed them over to the Klingon ship and basically just unnerved all of the Klingon. Well, it's funny. I think when, when Dal says, how big is the holodeck? It's like, no, you don't realize, kid. Yeah. The holodeck doesn't have to. He, he doesn't have to move when he's, quote, beaming out. This is not Time Lord technology. They They just... Yeah, they, you they just, just move the scene. You just have a very you. you have a very sophisticated Oculus on your head. It's just all around you instead. Yeah, yeah. In um, true uh, in true Star Trek fashion, 
this is sort of the end of the Kobayashi Maru episode and Spock and Dal have a little heart to heart. Yeah, I mean, sort of. It's a little choppy and some of the lines that they've dropped in there kind of seem forced, but Oh sure, yeah. I mean I think it was I think it was a Herculean effort to find clips that would be relevant to the action. Uh, I did notice that we bounced back and forth between eras. Uh, yeah. In in Spock, like some some of Spock's voice was from the Next Generation, even, and some Spock voice was from the original series. There likely mm-hmm. was some Spock voice from the Wrath of Khan, being as I believe that was the episode that opened with uh, the training mission and the Kobayashi yeah. Maru. Well, and I mean, at some point he says uh, the needs of the many, and that's definitely from the end of the Wrath of Khan. Of Fair course, enough. he says it at other points too. Yeah. But- Maybe they pick the best line, but likely the clearest. Being in the warp core or whatever he was in at the end of that might not. You're right, the clearest line. Yeah. There's also a, there's definitely a, a line from uh, Star Trek Generations uh, when he says, "You remind me of another captain." That's from the episode. That's from the end of Unification Part Two. Ah, thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, that, that makes far more sense than what I was saying nonsensically. <laughs> Generations, the movie is... Uh, Spock's not in that. Yeah, it's Shatner instead. <laughs> there are months of data that are locked away from, from Janeway. She unlocks a little piece, and guess who we come across? Captain Chakotay. Captain Chakotay. Yeah. Uh-oh. Who's apparently the captain of the Protostar we're assuming that he was navigating it to the Delta Quadrant, mm-hmm. but who knows? Hmm. Why does Holodeck Janeway have no memory of this? That's classified. I guess. That's classified I in, in Valnicat code. When uh, Rock touches the picture hologram of Chakotay, instead of just immediately going to the chair and coalescing, it does a little spin and flippy dip around the entire bridge. Sure. Gets all artistic. And it's like, why would, why, why would the holodeck even do a hologram even do that? I would program it to do that. Really? That would be, you gotta have a little flair with your holodeck programming. I mean, it, it is after all 400 years. <laughs> okay. Things have probably got to have a little bit of flair to them to be interesting. You gotta get your code to be the most popular code. So it's used everywhere. You know, so oh. These these little flares kind of make kind of make the day, you know, uh-huh. how like you know you're you're when you click the start button, it doesn't just immediately pop up the window. You know, it has an animation that pops up the window. You know what I mean? <laughs> Same idea. Okay. Yeah. <sighs> Lovingly, this episode was dedicated to uh, Rene Albergenois and to James, James Dewan, and of Love course Nimoy. to Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. So thank you for that, Star Trek Prodigy. Yes. Those gentlemen are in order. Uh, Renaud Bergenois played the uh, the character Odo on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, among many other beloved characters across television in the 80s and 90s. Uh, Jimmy Doohan, who played also many, many beloved characters, as well as uh, Montgomery Scott from the original series Star Trek and mm-hmm. from The Next Generation and also from the movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then finally uh, Leonard Nimoy, uh, who played Spock across many eras of Star Trek, including the current in which he played the recording of the Elder Spock in mm-hmm. Star Trek Discovery. Okay, yeah. 
one of the things I was curious on is why uh, why in the representations of uh, Spock and Uhura did they give the TV show versions where for Scotty they uh, gave the movie version. So I think they found the recordings that made sense uh, and they used those versions. I think if they had had recordings that would have made sense of Scotty from previous years, then they probably would have used that one. I'm, but I'm guessing what probably made sense was the recordings that they had, which were likely from movies. Yeah. I was just curious for the holodeck in universe. Why did the holodeck pick those versions? Is it did the holodeck pick the best versions? Yeah. I think they picked them at the pinnacle of their career. Oh. Oh, okay. So Scotty wasn't in the pinnacle of his career in the TV show. He was in the pinnacle of his career later on near Star Trek Six. I, I guess so. I, I, oh, okay. I suppose so. That suits me. I just bought a boat. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> I think the the bumbling I can barely speak cling on and look, sort of like fumble through it. Ohura probably wouldn't have been appropriate. Oh, okay. And maybe yeah. the uh, maybe the the Spock, who was not the original Spock, but a reborn Spock, might not have been appropriate either. Okay, yeah, I get it. Okay, how many times do you think Dal went through the holodeck program? Uh, Seventeen. <laughs> no, I mean the, <laughs> before he kicked out Pork, he yeah, uh, lots. I don't know. He went through a, a he lot. He was of pretty fun. stubborn, wasn't he? Yeah, that's what he does. And in yeah. some senses, that's what a good leader does. That's what uh, Michael Burnham does. That's what Kirk does. That's what Cisco does occasionally. That's what uh, Janeway does consistently. What's that, being stubborn and mm-hmm. just keep on tr- dying and dying over and over yeah. again? Yeah. To get their crew home or whatever? That's it. Or to fly through space recklessly? <laughs> yeah. All by yourself, flying through space. <laughs> in, in any possible form you can. Just you... You and yeah. you and the crafter, just you and you. Mm-hmm. So that was another good episode of Star Trek Prodigy. Yeah. And now it's time for a little thing we like to call, what do we call it? Space News? Science Corner? Science Corner, I think. Yeah. Unofficially. What have you got for us this week, Earl? The James Webb Telescope has reached its orbital destination, and it's in the process of right now as the date of this recording um unfolding and getting into position to start uh, sending new images of deep space yeah it's got like big big giant gold plates right and it unfolds these big yeah. gold plates and those are reflectors yep. and um it's kind of like people kind of liken it to the hubble telescope but yeah. it's a little bit more advanced than the hubble telescope the the hubble telescope usually Definitely. sees like uh, like op, like regular optical, like we see, and near infrared. And this one, I think, is looking in the ultraviolet. It is. It's looking. For, okay. It's looking way above, and uh, so it's not. It's it's also so it's also further away from the Earth. It's in what they call uh, the second Lagrange point. So it's like. Oh, okay. So what's a Lagrange point? So it's a it's a it's a place it's a place uh, where you can get a stable orbit. Uh, mm-hmm. around the earth now this this point is as opposed to like so the the hubble telescope 
is in like a near Earth orbit, right? But the Webb oh, okay. telescope is going to be 1.5 kilometers away from Earth and oh. sort of circling out past it. I okay. I was under the misimpression that the Webb telescope was going to actually be orbiting the sun and not the earth that uh it was somewhere between say venus and mercury or maybe even inside the orbit of mercury it's it's out past the orbit of 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 the earth yeah. oh okay yeah. but it's is it orbiting earth or the sun it's it's orbiting it's 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 falling into earth okay yeah yeah orbiting earth I mean, ultimately, it's orbiting the sun too. Yeah, everything's yeah, pretty much. It is orbiting the sun. Yes, indeed, it is indeed. <laughs> but it's not solely orbiting the sun. It's... That's correct. That's okay, correct. it's orbiting the the, the sun. I, thought, I think we did send a probe, or we're going to send a probe towards the sun. Yeah. To do some data but yes uh, we we this did is not the james Witt we got uh we got a probe recently closer to the sun than we ever have before it oh, okay. was like into the heliosphere of the sun oh wow okay yeah. so closer than mercury a lot closer than mercury i believe so yes oh okay don't quote me on that go <laughs> don't quote me on that go, though <laughs> maybe you should go look it up yeah, and you know if there's some more news in that, maybe we'll talk about it next time when we talk about Treks, Star Trek Let's Prodigy, Star Trek Prodigy. That'll be season one, episode seven. Seven. All right. Do we have a title on that yet? Mm, I don't have it yet. Okay. All right. So we'll see you next time, guys. Yeah. Hasta la vista. Oh. Am I doing my thing? I don't know. Just do. Just go ahead. Do what you want to do. It's your thing. Dream, dream a lot. <laughs> Grow a lot. <laughs> Learn stuff. Be better than you were yesterday. Tomorrow. Yes. And be Stay easy positive. Dream big. And you'll hear from us again soon. Hey. Support the continued making of this show through Patreon.com. Let's Talk About Treks is a production of Anodyne Relay supported by the Star Trek fan community of listeners like you. We review the copyrighted works of Paramount CBS's Star Trek team, of whom no copyright infringement is intended. You can reach us via email at email at letstalkabouttreks.com. You can leave us a message at area code 202-804-6312. Our producer is David Moody, and our writers, Jack and Earl, are on Twitter as at Trekstalkers, and would greatly appreciate the obligatory like and subscribe from wherever you're listening now. We record on Lenovo computers with Zoom, mix with NCH Mixpad, and master with Kakos Reaper. Our intro, outro, and interstitial musics feature samples from Awakening by Waterboy from Pixabay.